Yes, thank you, Lord. Bobblehead, soap and pop, work a lot. It's never sweet. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Stephen Strafford. Hello. Do you know when I say people's names who I have known for a really long time, I often have a moment where I'm horrified that I pronounced it incorrectly. Oh, all the time. Right? Yeah, Did I all say the time. it correctly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, it's also funny because I always call you Stephen, but the truth is I don't really know which you prefer. Or I might have asked you that before. I prefer Stephen. Um, okay. uh, there's a whole bit in my show, Metacular, about how I prefer Steven because I, I'm not blonde and I don't play volleyball. <laughs> um, anybody listening, this is Steven Strafford and he's speaking of a brilliant solo piece that he um, writes, he, is, he wrote and has performed um, a number of times now called Methtacular. I got to see it and it's such a gorgeous piece. Um, and maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, I like to start this podcast Tanya's take, race, culture, and the culture of race. Um, number one, by saying hello to any um, listeners from the past or new listeners. This is a bonus episode, which I'm really excited about, which I'm so thrilled Stephen agreed to be a part of. And this is for um, the members of Buy Me a Coffee, which is a new platform that I am a part of that enables me to create exclusive content uh, anti-racism educational pieces, pop culture deep dives, uh, comedy. And so uh, this video version with some other bells and whistles is going to be for my exclusive members. So I'm really excited about that, of which Steve is one. And I can't say enough how much I appreciate your support across all platforms. Um, uh, well, I'm a huge, huge fan of the podcast. I mean, I've been uh, I guess for listeners, I we did a storytelling show yes. together. Maybe the first year I was back in Chicago, maybe like 2013, 2014, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, have just um, not stopped calling you since. <laughs> well, and I feel the same way. And and that's exact that that sort of kicks us off because um, I like to start these conversations with people telling the listeners how we met. And it's one of my favorite stories. So this storytelling event that we did, um, our friend Arlene Malinowski, who is a brilliant solo artist, um, gathered together this group of storytellers. Do you want to pick it up? I know you know what I'm about. Are you going to talk about the Uh the thing we performed Uh in? Wait, the what? (laughs) Are you going to talk about the thing we performed in? Like the structure? No, not the structure. I just remember, I wonder if you remember the moment between us that solidified our love. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, please remind me. Okay. Because I can remember the jumping up and down. Well, there's, a, of course, almost whenever we see each other. So, um, okay. So we're at Arlene Melanowski's house practicing or talking about the structure of the show, so on and so forth. We've had a lovely dinner. Um, and, uh, at dessert was around the time I needed to leave. So I got up and I put on, <laughs> I put on a scarf and Steven looked at me and he was like, I don't know if you've been asked. You're like, that's an infinity scarf or is that an infinity scarf? And, I, a, yeah. and I literally looked at you and I said, I love you. And you looked back at me and said, I love you too. Because <laughs> I think specifically I said, is that a summer infinity scarf? Oh, yes. Yes, it was the summer. Oh, my God. Because it was like a light infinity scarf and I would never seen yes. a light fabric infinity scarf. And that was the thing that distinguished it. Because it would have been enough if you had said, is that an infinity scarf? But you said, is that a summer infinity scarf? And oh. it was like... Something happened in my brain and it was literally as if like maybe our our past selves had reunited in that moment because yeah. I was like, I know everything I need to know about this man. I love him deeply. I will know him the rest of my life. <laughs> and the both of us, like that was it. It was from that moment on. And I've been like in love with everything you say or do since. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, the other thing about Steve that I love so much 
and which makes me convinced we knew each other uh, in a past life is that, um, or a current life, I don't know, your love of pop culture and um, your joy around um, things that we experienced when we were younger. I think I'm older than you, but we were, we had to have been watching TV at the same time. You also have a level of reference, which is mind blowing so that, you know, you have already done all the deep dives. So if we're like having a back and forth or a joke in texting, before I know it, you have like dug up some footage that is so rare, so hilarious. And in fact, when I was sick with COVID, there was a stretch of time where you were just sending me videos to cheer me up. And they were these like totally random, like obscure videos that only um, someone like you and very few other folks that I know would have that, um, that sort of archive in their head, <laughs> that file. I think from an early age, I, you know, just, just in case anyone doesn't have eyes or ears at this point, I'm gay. And um, <laughs> I am. Um, Thank you for being so brave. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> it's actually really a thrill to be the one who gets to be brave and not have some straight dude do it. <laughs> right. Usually right. Yeah. they get all the opportunities oh, to be gay. Geez. Yeah. That's um, so but, um, conversation for another time. That I um, have always clocked um, the um, absurd things. So like, and they weren't absurd to me at the time. Um, you know, I, I think being, I think we're in the same general range yeah. of age. Um, because I'm like shy. I'm 51, so you don't okay. have to say how old you are, but you can do. Well, I'm I'm 43. Okay, um, yeah. But my older brother is 47, gonna be just 48 any day, mm -hmm. and um, I watched what he watched. Got it. Yeah. There so you like, go. it skewed me a little older, right? With right. the things I watched, but like, I loved a very special episode, oh, like of a come on. like I. And I would have all my feelings around it, and I would want to talk to my mom about it. Like, yeah, just I, this, I, you know, this episode of the Facts of Life really changed me. Yeah, different you, strokes. Oh, just all of them. Yeah. And, um, I um learned all of my social and emotional learning from TV, mm -hmm. and um, for good or for ill. Um, and I um hold on to that stuff. You know, I mean, it was also like a, I think it helps that I was like a weird smart kid. So I was sure. like a sponge. Yeah. Um, and now I am the further into being a performer I am, the more fascinated I am by like the plasticity, not yeah. like not like plasticity, like neuroplasticity, but you know, like the yeah, plasticness yeah, yeah. Sure. of so much of the entertainment that I took in. Right. And um and like also I love old comedy. I love setup and punchline. Yes. I love clean comedy, I call it. Like right. not clean yep. without curse words, but like I love right. when it's just like, oh, I see it coming and yep. it's still yep. great. Yep. Well, that's um, the thing. Steve is a brilliant performer, singer, actor, um, musical theater, also a brilliant writer. That the the um, but you are a technician of comedy, and I have to say, one of the biggest compliments you ever gave me was after you came and saw this at Windy City Playhouse, and you kind of you know, I won't go into detail, but that show had its challenges. That script had its challenges, right? Um, and you pulled me aside after you came and saw the show and essentially said, I see what you were doing. It was really good. Like, and for me, that was huge because I know what sort of, you know, you are a co um, comedic technician. You understand timing, you understand, but, -ba -ba. and, um, yeah, so I, I, and yes, and I, you know, I think too, is it fair to say maybe our generation, the sort of span we're in, 
was the generation who grew up on television, like that sort of 70s, 80s sitcom. And uh, the idea being that like we were in our formative years when all of that really good television was on, really cheesy, really problematic, like all mm -hmm. of it, right? And all of the comedy was, you know, including if we go all the way to the Muppets, you know, all of it was steeped in vaudeville. Yeah. It was like they had taken the old, you know, thing. And so it was like vaudeville meets Neil Simon comedies. Yeah. Put into these 23-minute packaged episodes and um yeah i mean i loved it yeah and if you pay close enough attention especially to some um stand-ups some comedians you have someone like a rosie o'donnell who grew up on that you know she's older than both of us but it's that sort of like it's very particular it's very specific and i always spot it in other people um and it goes beyond the sitcoms because really it's just a, it's an overall pop cultural reference that you have that I have as well. So that sometimes I'll see a Facebook status of yours and I'm like, it is, I mean, is he speaking my thoughts? How could he have experienced that exactly the same way as I did? Um, and it's that weird sense of like, oh, I'm not alone, you know, um, in terms of how you take the world in. Um, I also, you know, and, you know, we're, we're talking about someone, we're going to be talking about someone very specific in just a moment, but, uh, there's a weird thing and we'll probably uncover it a little bit more as we speak, because as a young person watching this stuff, who was eventually going to be a performer, who is eventually going to be an observer of life, a person who writes about life and the nuances and the subtleties and the absurdities. All those shows that I was watching, I was watching at face value. And then there was this other level that my brain was processing and putting away in a file that I still access today. Mm -hmm. And I can't say that I, you know, necessarily um, can articulate it, right? But it's just like, there with, I, I just can, I can have, I have visceral memories of watching certain things. And it, it was always felt like there was like a dual experience happening right like an educational experience that i was mm -hmm. taking in as well as the um just comedy of it right yeah it was it was early on that i started to wonder why is this funny mm, yeah why is this funny like why does this make me cry why does you know um i can remember watching um the thing that I recorded off of the TV and then proceeded to watch and always make myself cry hmm. was the women of Brewster Place. Oh, come on. And I, I just like, I, but I would want to talk to my peers right. in <laughs> Old Bridge, New Jersey about like, I wonder why this makes me cry mm -hmm. this time, every time. And I, I started paying attention to things like the music that was playing mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and like, what was it about tracking specifically Jack Hay through that piece that like when she gets emotional, I get emotional. Like, oh, that's what is interesting. It? And I would, I mean, like these were things, I mean, I would watch and rewatch and rewatch the same things over and over again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the same was true for musical theater. You know, I was listening to those right. albums over and over yeah. and over same again. Same here, same here. And, and wanting to know you know, I wanted to read everything about it. I read books. I read like, I would buy those books at the Pathmark, which was the local supermarket, right? Um, about sitcoms. Like it oh, would, yeah. cause I would want to know, and of course it's all just like publicity dreck, you know? But I was like, where is Mindy Cohn today? Like, what is she doing? I want to know. I, um, and I think maybe that's something that we connect on, on a visceral level. I think a lot of performers, a lot of people in our world, stop being fans. Mm. Aww. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it, I do, I, or I never were. It. Or never, never were. were. Never fell in love. I right. just realized, I don't know if you're on TikTok, but anyways. 
I'm not, I can't, I can't I, invest I, in new things. I, yeah, exactly. Right. And so anyways, there's this series where it's like, have you ever been in love? And it's this voiceover. And then the person shows video of something they love. And it just made me think of that in the terms of like, I fell in love with performance, um, the spirit coming through in a moment uh, before I wanted to perform, you know, um, or pretty yeah. much at the same time. And I think some performers, it is, it is just about the fame. It's just about, I want to be on TV. It's not about like this, like passion. And I always, always connect with people who have that, like, oh no, I, I fell in, you know, my first love was theater and mm -hmm. um, musical theater. And, uh, uh, you know, I get, plays out of the library like they were comic books you know yep i they made my love. younger i made my younger brother play all the bad parts <laughs> in all the plays yes yeah I he would, still talks about it yeah i would force my friend laura geist to recreate um the episodes of fame <laughs> i was coco she was julie and it was oh. <laughs> like all i poor thing all afternoon i would make her recreate these episodes right um so we're here to talk about uh, Mel Carter. And the reason is because I discovered years ago through some Facebook post of yours that you have a love of Mel Carter. And mm -hmm. I have a deep, deep love for Mel Carter. There are very few performers who sight unseen, I start crying mm -hmm. thinking about them. And, you know, Sidney Poitier is one. If I see Sidney Poitier, I just, he moves me on such a visceral level, I just start crying. Mm -hmm. And Mel Carter just makes me wanna cry. I, and there's so many reasons for it. And um, it's partly because I think she disrupted my brain patterns as this kid in an all white suburb watching a sitcom with this fat, black, woman who owned every inch of the screen i it was confusing and mm -hmm. exhilarating and she captured my imagination right and so i remember whatever the post was which i don't recall just being like once again how is it that steve is like having had such similar experiences um and uh so that's why i wanted to do this episode because it's like i really want to just celebrate celebrate and honor her and um avenge her which i will talk about we'll talk about in a moment mm -hmm. and just share her with people because i just don't think she really ever got her due i mean there's not even an autobiography about her i'm like what the hell yeah it's it's she's she's a fascinating person especially if you start digging yes you know it's full of contradiction right and Right. Um, when did you first see her or come across her? Do you remember? I'm sure it had to be, give me a break. I'm okay. sure that okay. was my first interaction um, with her as a performer. And I always, I mean, you know, I was starved for musical theater, mm -hmm. starved. And if, if it showed up in my right. sitcom, uh, it was right. like, oh, you know, um, and she regularly sang on the show. There's an episode later on in the series where they're in New Orleans and she sings when the saints go marching in. Um, and it's like, and I, I will, it's like, um, <laughs> I was beside myself. Oh my God. With freaking Joey and Lawrence of all people. With Joey Lawrence. Um, I have to say it. Whoa. Um, well, I know. But, I, it was literally um, forming in my mouth. I can remember the production value yep. of it. And who knows, it probably would look, you know, sad now, um, the production value. But I was enthralled. Yeah. Um, I also, I have a very particular, this is something I've been thinking about, obviously, we, I knew we were going to be speaking and I, I wanted to know what is it about her, right? Yeah. Like, what was the thing that hooked me in? And 
I have had this voice my whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I had acting teachers try to, you know, get rid of it. I had all sorts of like, you're only going to ever play. Like I had an acting teacher once say like, if you don't change your voice, you're only going to play homosexuals or aliens. And yeah. luckily I had another acting teacher who was like, that guy's in the closet. Right. Um, but, um, but um, she has such a particular instrument. Ugh. No one else sounds like her. Right. No. No one else exactly. tries. No. No one tries to sound like her. It's not like something that she did that everyone was like, oh, we're going to go do this now. Yeah. Well, so the, the New Orleans episode um, also. The New Orleans episode not only has the When the Saints Go Marching In, it also has I Stayed Too Long at the Fair. <laughs> Multiple numbers. Which, whatever age I was, when I watched that and her presence and her ability to go from this sitcom, sitcom and, you know, you could argue caricature, whatever mm-hmm. to this moving beautiful longing amazingly sung opus it was another moment that just confused my brain but in the best way i was like what is happening mm-hmm. what how does she what and it was just like a music video in the middle of a freaking 22 minutes sitcom like what was happening? <laughs> and that's always how I felt with about her I wonder do you um so do you think or or do you know I'm assuming you probably don't but um that it's possible that you saw her in hair before you saw her in give me a break no I definitely can remember uh-huh. spotting her yeah. in hair yeah and then rewinding. Yeah. Because um, I discovered the movie of Hair mm-hmm. while I was in college. Um, and this is before I had gotten sober. So I may or may not have allegedly been um, a high <laughs> while um, watching the movie for the first time. And I can remember shutting the room yeah. down. Yep. Like shutting it down. Yeah. Because we were going to watch Nell Carter. Yes, we were. Like, that's Nell Carter. That's young Nell Carter. Right. It was also, I was very excited because Ellen Foley was also in it. Yeah. Um, Ellen, who was on Night Court for a season. <laughs> Is that the blonde? Uh-huh. Yes, she she's also, also... Go ahead. I think she's also the woman who sings with Meatloaf in Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Is she also in Fatal Attraction? Oh, she might have been. I was just trying attraction. to figure that out today because I was watching it again. But see, that's the thing. It's like, I forgot because I used to listen to the hair com- um, soundtrack all the time. I forgot that's Mel. And I was right. looking on YouTube today and then I saw the scene. I'm like, oh my God. It's like, she just was like always there and stuff mm-hmm. I was watching all the time. And so, and you know, one of the amazing things about her, and you know, I was a heavier kid. I was always sort of like detached from my body, I would say, in a way. And um, yeah. to have this, and I keep saying fat, and I don't mean it in the pejorative sense. I don't think she was coy about it. She knew she mm-hmm. was fat. It just wasn't anything that held her back. It was part of her sexual allure it was part that's the thing and hair she's so sexy yeah and um so the way this woman moved so she was like a dancer she was the 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 Mm. physical comedy that she would do in give me a break was unreal and nothing about her weight held her back um and she wasn't so i mean mean, internally and emotionally she might have had some self-consciousness but it never showed in her performances and she dressed amazing i mean this woman you you i sent you that meme uh the Mm -hmm. other day and it's the one with the red dress and the off the shoulder i mean my body issues still manifest that i'm like insecure that you can see my arms on this video and this woman would wear like sexy revealing and it was the 80s 
Nobody else looked like her. Nobody else even had permission to look like her. And here she was just doing it on like 11 and being rewarded for it, but not enough. And that's my thing is she just was not rewarded enough for what enemies. I don't know another performer, like you said, like her. Nell Carter was a personality bomb. She was a person. I love that personality bomb. And that's so we can talk about that because that's exactly right. So I, I had you, I asked you to rewatch the pilot. Um, and just to catch everybody up that I'm assuming you're I'm thinking, you know, if you're listening to this, you likely know. And if not, um, you're welcome. Now, uh, if you if not, um, <laughs> Give Me a Break was a 1980s sitcom. It was about uh, a white man with three young daughters and Nell Carter, who was the maid, but also the quote unquote best friend of the man's wife who died. And it wasn't until I rewatched the pilot, by the way, which apparently she wasn't getting paid. This was volunteer because she promised the wife she'd take care of them. No. Anyway, um, so that's what Give Me a Break is about. It ran for six seasons or six years. How many? Sometimes the seasons is more or less than that. But, um, and on that sitcom, um, you know, it, it, the, I realized, you know, it's actually not a bad script. It's not a great script. But it's, it's not bad. You know, some first pilots are horrible. I also just found out and, um, you know, there's a subsequent, there's a, there's a pilot that never was aired. It's a completely different group of kids and it's her and Dolph Sweet and I'll send you the link so that, you know, that they reshot the whole pilot once it was greenlit, I guess. Um, but what became of those dumped kids? Those poor dumped kids. Um, same thing happened on a, what's that Tim Allen show? Home Improvement. Home Improvement. The wife got dumped after the pilot. There's a few of those. Um, but anyway, so the script's not that bad. The script has its problematic moments. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, the entire dynamic is the stereotype of the mammy. Yeah. The magical Negro coming in and fixing white people problems. Mm -hmm. um, but something allowed for it to, I mean, certainly back then, I wasn't aware of any of that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But also it, it had to have been, it wasn't that Nell was sassy, right? So a lot of the time these tropes are the black woman is sassy. And, mm -hmm. and of course, a lot of the things she did were sassy, but it was more than that because she was so confident. She wasn't afraid to just like, a hit back when he would say things to her. Um, she was well. It was born. It was born out of the nineteen seventies sitcoms, right? Where like we we had been trained by All in the Family, The Jeffersons, Sanford and Son, Maud. You know, yep. to like live in these stereotypes, but like shine a light on them. Yes. Yes. Right. Like that was the that was the model that was at the, the model. time. Yeah, it and, was. It um, was smart in that way. It was smart in that way. Now it had moments in the pilot where you know he's the guy's a cop and he pulls out a gun and now Carter's like, oh, massa, massa, no. I'm like, huh. Yeah. That's not that funny, but it nope. is. But it's not. Right? Yeah, it's like, it's a weird, it's like her take after saying it was funny. Ooh, tell me that again. What was it? Because she does the whole thing, right? She does this whole thing. And then afterwards, she's like, oh. <laughs> like, just like, there's a thing that almost, I mean, who can know, right? Yeah. But it, it feels like this character, and, you know, really just Nell Carter, right. is being like, that's what you think. You know, there's like that just that little comment at the end of it right and certainly she becomes the tep template for characters like oh i just changed my lighting oh i look oh. fabulous <laughs> um a template for characters like benson um mm -hmm. for the guy in fresh prince of bel-air um of course the template before that was um florence from the jeffersons right that sort of um supposedly um, lower um, status person who actually, through their behavior, has high status. Um, 
you know, there was the gay joke that was problematic Ooh, on so many gay levels. Joke. Right? Ooh, I was like, oh, geez, Louise. Right. So he makes some comment about this cop. And if he's gay, that means he's going to kiss the criminal. And Bill and I were watching the pilot and he even made the point. He's like, that's problematic on so many levels, because not only first of all, it's assuming the cop has to be a man. It's assuming the criminal is a man. <laughs> yeah, it's assuming it's that the cop is automatically going to be attracted to the criminal. But, you know, it's like a mess, right? Oh, yeah. It's like it's it's just such like a cheap. And it's like, it's not a well-crafted joke. No, which is always the crime. You know what I mean? Like Golden Girls in the rewatches that I've done have some moments that haven't aged well. Yeah. And then there's some jokes that are not, you couldn't write them now, but they're still funny. You know, they're just, there are jokes that are, because they're written well. This this show, from a writing standpoint, felt like they were throwing all of the jokes they had Yes. And uh, instead of allowing for like breath and a moment for jokes to land, it was like, now we'll do another one. Now we'll do another one. Now we'll do another one. Well, it's a Um, sitcom thing though, right? Like it's literally like you have to have a certain number of jokes per page. Um, And certainly 1980s sitcoms had that issue uh, or that sort of challenge. But so like, um, Yeah. And the thing I kept wondering, though, is because in my mind, she's a superhero. Right. Mm -hmm. And can do anything she wants. So I'm like, I wonder why she settled for these scripts. I wonder why she agreed to say this or that. But I also know that she was an actor and a performer who. I mean, I'm sure I don't think like she was a producer like the first season, you know, I don't even know she was by the end. So, um. I feel like her trajectory, the story, the, the, the general trajectory I know is, you know, she was attached originally to do Dreamgirls yep. in the 70s. Yep. She walked away because she got a role on Ryan's Hope. Um, and then that didn't work out. And so she, you know, lost out on both things, basically. And then Ain't Misbehavin' happens. And she ends up not only winning the Tony, but the Emmy for the same performance and I think give me a break comes off of that yes. performance yeah. and I I just I know um and we can't really talk about her without bringing this up I think um and it's personal to me but she had a problem with drugs and alcohol yeah. and because of that she had a lot of problems with money and I don't imagine she was in a position because I think that's the time I feel like that 80s time is when things were either really bad or she was better, really bad or she was better. Oh, absolutely. Um, That's it. Like we saw that. And I remember following it as a kid. I mean, I didn't really know what was going on. And I also knew that sometimes she was thin and sometimes she was heavy and sometimes she was mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, you'd hear some like kind of really harsh thing about her. Um Yes. And that is the exact trajectory. I do. I would love to know what she, I didn't find anything, what she ever had to say about not playing Effie, uh, who she would have been amazing. But of course, now you can't yeah. imagine anybody else than the first being Jennifer Holiday. you know? Have you heard the recording of her singing One Night Only from the Backers audition? No. It is available on the YouTube. Oh my God, thank God for YouTube, man. Yeah, in the, in the version that they were doing at the time, um, the other people in the room are trying to make Effie sing it faster. And so like she's singing it and then every now and then you hear Nell Carter be like, no, because <laughs> she's, she's going to do it the way she's going to do it. And is that Effie or is it Nell or both? Well, that's the thing because right. someone in the comments was like, isn't that crazy to hear Nell Carter yelling at Michael Bennett? And then of course someone else is like, Michael Bennett wasn't attached to this stuff. You know, like all of a sudden it's like a big YouTube oh, argument. Oh, right, right. Of musical theater um, geeks. But I was like, um, I, it sounds to me like characters in a show. Yeah. So you um, knocked off one of the fun facts that uh, I uh, like to have be a part of these sort of pop culture deep dives. So, um, yes. Yeah, so uh, Nell Carter was the original Effie in Dreamgirls. Uh, something Nell Carter and I have in common is that we played Miss Hannigan in Annie. Thank you very much. 
Oh, I would have loved to have seen you play Miss Hannigan. I was um, 15, whatever. Um, um, still, I would have loved <laughs> to have been in the audience. Um, and the thing about the Miss Hannigan, so she did that on Broadway, and the producers to promote the show used footage of a white actress. And she was not happy. So she was quoted in the New York Times basically saying, apparently they don't know Nell Carter is black. Um, mm -hmm. What else? She toured with Joan Rivers, which can you imagine them together? I'd love to know if they got along. I'd love to mm -hmm. know how they hopefully supported each other. I want to know. I want to think Joan Rivers fought for her. I don't know. Um, <laughs> she converted to Judaism after marrying. I believe it was her. Was it her first or second husband? I think her first husband. And she was devout and she practiced. Um, and so this man, Dolph Sweets, um, Sweet, who was the um, opposite in the sitcom with her, this sort of, um, you know, what you would imagine a stereotypical white cop. I want to, yeah, there was a ton of Polish jokes, weren't there? So I think he was Polish. Um, mm -hmm. Seeing these two people together, you absolutely, and these, you know, the, the um, relationship between the two characters is contentious, but they love each other underneath all of that. And you assume that that's had to be just because of the type of folks they are on paper, that that must have been what their off camera relationship was like, but apparently they were like best friends and she delivered his eulogy. And um, I just find that so fascinating because they just seem like two of the most different people in the world. And also he is terrifying on that show. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like the the guys, the old crusty yeah. character actors yeah. who play the, I should say character actors who play the old crusty characters yeah. are almost nine times out of 10. That's a good point. The, the sweethearts. Um, you got to watch out for the people who play the kindly grandfathers because they're the nightmares. Um, so, yeah, I feel like um, after Give, Give Me a Break is when um, she never really got the opportunity to get to a status where people are still talking about her today because I feel like people should be still be talking about her today. I mean, she should be up there. She should be up there with like, um, you know, Judy Garland, Barbara Streisand, like I, you know, um, Pearl Bailey. Um, she deserves that spot and she just never got it. And I think it, I mean, I don't know if it's because after Give Me a Break, people just, everything, maybe there wasn't like any performing she wasn't, she was doing, wasn't being televised. Like what happened? Yeah. I mean, I know she, she went and did like, there's recordings of her playing um, Dolly Levi and, you know. So theater. At, like, yeah. Yeah. Some theater stuff. Um, she played mama in a musical version of Raisin in the Sun. That was what she was going to do. Oh, and she never that was did like, it. And she, and she never did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that was going to be in New York too. No, I, I that was oh, maybe, yeah. I saw some interview where, you know, it's interesting to watch her in interviews because I can't tell exactly, she's a little bit not in her skin. She's sort of presenting a very nice, sophisticated, like I think there was way more going on underneath. She's a bit of a flirt, which is fun. She's like, I, I couldn't figure out like, but it's also interesting to see, this is what it is. She doesn't do any of her Nell Harper, which is the character she played, shtick. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And that's what's cool to see about her. And that's why I would love to have seen more of it because she didn't feel compelled to do that after Give Me a Break. She went back to sort of, she's sort of almost somewhat quiet, reserved. Mm -hmm. You can tell she has a whole interior life of thoughts that she's like pretty precise about deciding whether or not she's going to voice out loud. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, she was such a compartmentalized right. person yep. dealing with addiction and trying to keep that out of. Yes. Yes. And, and it, it lost her a lot of jobs, the addiction and the behaviors around the addiction. Yeah. And she had, you know, she had a uh almost a wife you know right and 
and no one knew about it until she died. Yeah. What's up? So are you comfortable with, do you know of like, because I, all I remember was like, I feel like she really, yeah, that's where it went was she had an addiction and even or she had the addiction problem, even after there were periods where she'd be sober again, for some reason, whatever age I was, I was fully aware of all these peaks and valleys mm-hmm. because of ET entertainment tonight. No, not yeah, Entertainment tonight, which I watched yeah. biblically um, or religiously, I should say, not biblically. Um, so then she like kind of would disappear and then and she would show up in all these, you know, you sent me this one performance yes. to look at and she showed up on a lot of those things. Right. And so here's the thing. Okay. So I asked Steve to watch a clip of something and it is the golden globes. I believe it's the 1992 golden globes. So as I watched. Host, hosted by Pierce Brosnan and Jacqueline Bissett. Um, so just like I would watch ET religiously, I'd watch any award show religiously. Mm-hmm. Like it was like Same. shut everything Always. down. Yeah. And the year I was watching with a friend of mine, the Golden Globes, and um, Nell Carter comes out and sings. First of all, okay. So anyway, she sings this song, and it, it's a star-studded night. And the clip I sent Steve, first of all, is like the red carpet entrance, which is different than it is today. It's just like them coming out of cars and like quick edit shots of like different celebrities. And it's like these huge heavy hitters. Number one, it's weird because some of them are dead. Some of them were power couples of the day who are now long since divorced. It's a very, it's a time capsule for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, seeing Luke Perry made me have a million feelings. Oh my God. And so, um, yeah, that's exactly right. Because it's not like dead people who were old. It's like, like, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And then uh, the announcer announces the beginning of the show. And Nell Carter comes out and sings this song. Um, and then there's a lot of different shots of the actors in the audience. And I would just like to get your take on it, Steve. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it felt like a marriage between the like um, comedian opener, uh-huh. where it's like, we're going to talk about individual people in yeah. the audience. Billy Crystal. And we're going to make some jokes. Yeah, it's going to be, we're going to do the bits. Yeah. Um, and like the like old school, like, and Jillian will now sing a song that has nothing to do with anything, but it's all about Hollywood, right? You know, and and um, oh, yeah, don't keep going. And so it felt like, um, I felt bad for her, I felt like it was rough material. I thought she landed a couple of solid jokes in there. Uh-huh. I thought, pardon my language, I thought the crowd was a bunch of dicks. Yeah. I was like, pardon, again, pardon my language. I'm going to go all no, the way there. No, but, no. I was, but I was like, literally like, fuck off, Michelle Pfeiffer. Fuck <laughs> like, off, Michelle Pfeiffer? <laughs> Oh my God. Like that was one of the like better jokes she had to deliver and just be gracious and smile. And freaking Kevin Costner. Yeah. See, okay. So quick backstory about this little clip. So the first time I watched it with a friend of mine um, and we immediately spotted the absurdity of it. The Las Vegas horrible lyrics to try to like just like Billy Crystal made brilliant um, mm-hmm. and no fault to her. She didn't write it most likely, but anyways, a bad version of what Billy Crystal would do on the Academy Awards, which were these brilliant songs that would include all of the nominees and everything would rhyme and it'd be hilarious. And But in this case, it was a terrible version. It was very cheesy, very Las Vegas. By the end, she's working so hard just to get through it because it's awful. And the audience is giving her the reception of like, you know, like their royalty and she's the help. And um, when I saw it when I was younger, I thought it was hilarious, right? Like I, I hadn't at the time realized my total, I mean, I love Nell Carter, but it 
you know, it doesn't like, it didn't manifest the way it does now. Mm-hmm. Hadn't seen her in a while and was young and kind of insensitive and thought this is freaking horrible and laughable. And at the time, sadly, was seduced by the stars that were in the audience and their reactions Mm -hmm. so that she was like the butt of the joke. And detached irony was the name of the game. Right, totally. Like culturally, we were all expected to be mid-rolling our eyes at all times. Yes, I have to chew on that. That's interesting. And, And yeah, yeah. And I know that I was very much in that point of just like, being just a brat, you know, (laughs) like not getting it, like not getting it. Like this black woman had to get on a goddamn stage and sing for these effing celebrities who were- She had to learn that song. She had to learn that song, show up for the rehearsal. (laughs) Yep. There was like, there was a lot of talk about lighting and a lot of talk about like, like when, which camera will pick you up at what time. Like, And then, you know, she was, she's to some degree phoning it in. She probably needed a paycheck. She was, it's not like she was nominated that year. Um, right. So it's just like, for her, it was a gig. And for them, it was a joke. And I didn't see it then. And I thought I allowed it in my mind to be a joke until watching it again, literally two days ago. And just, and for years, this was an inside joke between my friend and I. Oh, wow. We'd be like, hey, Kevin Costner in Wolves, you were great. Because this is the song. Oh, what a party this is. Like, literally, this is the song she was singing to a bunch of people staring at her like she's blue. <laughs> oh, Practically just... rolling their eyes, doing everything but rolling their eyes. And I think some of yeah. them actually did. Yeah. Um, and so now I watch oh, it. I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Can I say one thing? Please. I just want to shout out Annette Benning, who was like having the time of her life. Yes. Like was like, yay. And like totally. laughing and Warren Beatty. And exactly. Just Which enjoying is enjoying it. Exactly what you're supposed to freaking do when people bother to put your name in a freaking song. Yes. <laughs> Have some fun, freaking grace. Right. Yeah. So, um, watching it two days ago, I was incensed. I was so mad. And this was the part of me that was like, I must avenge Nell Carter because how dare they? Right. <laughs> how dare they? She was a Tony Award, Emmy Award, should have been and had the opportunities to become an Academy Award winning actress who um, could perform freaking circles around anybody in that damn audience singing this song for them and their reactions. And the fact that she's a black woman up there, freaking forget it because everybody in the audience, as far as I could see was white and everybody who gets a close up in that audience rolling their eyes metaphorically is also white. Yep. And it is so uh, ugly and gross and sad. There's so much at play here, right? Like one, if we think about the fact that most of those people in that audience had been in a musical at some point in their lives, sure. right? Right. Like, because they did high school musicals, right. like they came up doing that sort of thing, right? Right. But like the stratosphere, the way it's like set up, right? The way that the, the, um, the cast system of theater does 100% place musical theater at some sort of like lower... Totally like thing that's like embarrassing and it often feels that way because if it's not great and it's and if it's not in its natural habitat yeah it can be strange yeah and this was the time um before you continue where movies and tv were still very separate yes and movie musicals weren't a thing no no. Like we, it was like a desert. It was a desert. For years. Yes. Yes. So um, yeah, keep going. So it's like, so, so that's at play. The sort of um, older school delivery, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which like is not, you know, jiving with the, you know, and they're all drunk and high on their designer cocaine. And you know, superiority. 
Yeah, and so like all of that is at play and then you layer on race. Right, and it's like on one layer, and this is just sort of the different lenses, right? Because on one layer, excuse me, um, Kevin Costner was notoriously shy throughout Mm -hmm. all of this, kind of like, um, you know, we think of him as a mega movie star now, but I I think it it was for, I think it was the year of Dances with Wolves where he was the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And um, anytime, you know, you're, it's like as performers, we hate being brought on stage for stuff. Like if we're not in the damn play, right? So um, I see a layer and I could see how somebody else watching it would see the layer of, oh, they're just embarrassed or, you know, but um, I think it's, it's, it's also how hard Nell Carter is working because mm-hmm. she's such a pro. And it's the equivalent of like, when you realize, oh, this audience is completely dead. So I'm gonna work harder. You sometimes end up looking like you're working a little too hard. Um, and especially if you're on camera, right? Yes. Like if we're, if we're on stage yes. and you're working hard, it is, you can feel it sometimes in a smaller theater, but mostly we're not watching the work because we're too far away exactly exactly that's so it but when you're yeah i mean yeah yeah. and i'm realizing something kind of deep which is you know i almost like was like i have regret that i have (laughs) like okay get over it's it's a freaking you know this is how we think. So I'll just go with it. This is how we as artists who have a passion for this think. And there's literally a part of me that regrets having had that be an inside joke for all the years that it has been. Because I think it's sort of, it dishonors her. And the thing that I'm realizing now is that on a, on a cellular level, as a black girl living in a white suburb, and the friend I was with was white, mm. my survival mode was to make fun of that. Because that was me. That was me every freaking day of my life, working too hard to be accepted by all white people. And to see how colossally it was failing in that moment, no matter how hard she tried and no matter who she was, was heartbreaking. And the only way to get through it was to make fun of it. Sure. That makes perfect sense to me. And so now, um, I, I am so sad that it's taken me that long and I am determined to avenge her spirit for the rest of time. I'm like, we need solo shows. We need a two-hander <laughs> with Joan Rivers and Nell Carter. We need an autobiography, <laughs> like a, a documentary. Like, I am not kidding. Yeah, I am. Um, for, for the generation, I'm at the top end. I, um, so, so for me, my, like when I really became fully immersed in the career of Nail Carter was when she sort of had a resurgence. I think it might've been around the time she was doing, um, Annie. I think it Uh might've been around the same time. I'm not sure. I would have to look all these dates up, but she did this concert which was the leading ladies of Broadway, like my favorite Broadway, like leading ladies. And it was an evening, um, separate topic owned by Audra McDonald. She did like three like stellar performances, but Nell Carter came out and sang like a little snippet of Ain't Misbehavin' and then sang Mean to Me. Mm, You sent it to me. And that performance, I um, couldn't stop watching it. And this is the thing is I feel so lucky that I geek out about stuff like this because I feel like it's a magic, it's a superpower, or it's like, you don't see this? Like you, the presence that she has in that freaking number, like it makes me want to freaking holla every yeah. single time. Yeah, and it's just like, I'm always just, um, I'm intrigued with things that move us. Um, when I mention people like Nell Carter, Sidney Poitier, I realize it's like, for me, they are poetry in motion. They are a poem. Like there's 
something about them that makes me react to them like a beautiful beautiful poem or mm -hmm. um and with yeah. her it's like a glance the way she lets the light hit her face her every every like cell in her being knows how to be a part of the story that she's telling and it she even did it on give me a break with like random ass storylines when she freaking adopted joey lawrence yeah. <laughs> like and i just there's just not that many people and she was only 54 freaking years old yeah so what else could we have seen and I just want people to know her. I want people to see her because again, this stuff is discoverable and this stuff is available. I have friends and, and uh, you know, people close to me find it funny that I can watch the same things over and over again, always laugh. Right. I right, just right, right. always laugh because yeah, if yeah. it's funny, it will make it's me laugh. Funny. Exactly. Um, it's not about surprise for me. It's about right. the execution. Well, and it's joy and, too, um, right? Like it's just, it's yes. just so joyous when something makes you laugh exactly in that way, um, because it's hitting those internal elements of comedy that you can't name. But um, and I have something I realized I, I'm just now realizing that I love. I brought up the Muppets before, and yeah. like I love. A seemingly offhanded interjection. Oh yeah. In a performance, like mm -hmm. the Muppets are full of them, right? Like, right. Um, you know, you think of um, uh, moving right along in the Muppet movie, like mm -hmm. full of those little like comments, like just like and just I love them. Yeah. Um, there's a recording of the Muppets doing um, they do it in a round. Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat. Yeah. And like they 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 do it and. My favorite moment is Gonzo. So they all sing, um, Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat. Nice. And that's Gonzo. <laughs> and it just makes me laugh every year at, at the holidays. Like, well, I just love it so much. Because, yeah, and, and just hearing that, because it's music. Right. So that it's the same thing as getting excited of, like, you know, uh, the drums, the, the, the drum beat and, like, um, yeah, I can feel it coming in the end. And then the boom, 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 It's the same thing in comedy. Rhythmically, that's just mm -hmm. funny. If you're like, la, 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 la. Oh, yeah. That's, that's funny. fucking funny. All what um, Nell Carter does with such ease. Um, and I just like, I do. If you look at her, your work, you're like, you're looking at a miracle. Like it's her, she's miraculous. And how could we have just like let her go after she died? <laughs> yeah. Um, her, uh, a friend of mine who I toured with played Rooster to her. Oh, Miss no way. On Broadway. Cow. Yeah. Who? What's his yeah, name? So he would, he, uh, James Leo Ryan, Jimmy oh Ryan. Oh my gosh. And um, she, he loved her. He just like, like, and a lot of, some people had some bad experiences working with her, but like he found out I loved her and he would just tell me these stories just about how giving she was on mm, stage. I love hearing that. That how she wanted him to get the laugh. She wanted, but then was also like, but this one's mine. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I always now, and I think anybody who's like in this mode of, I want to be anti-racist, I want to be inclusive, I want to be an uh, interrupter, all of these things, um, you have to revisit like your personal icons, right? And so when I was getting ready to do this, I'm like, sweet God, please don't let me find anything problematic, you know? Because like all of a sudden you realize maybe somebody that you just loved, 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 their actual personality was horrible and they've said terrible things and you know and i didn't come across anything um that kind of like threw me for a big loop the only thing i noticed was that compartmentalization thing and you you that's what you that's exactly what it was and i hadn't called it that but it's just like i'm like that's not her and of course, mm -hmm. none of us are going to necessarily totally just like let it all hang out, but she's doing it on a certain level. And I do wonder if it has to do with some of that um, 
the aspects of, of having an addiction and still trying to operate and function and all of that. So it's interesting. Yeah. And apparently I, I, I know some people who worked with her on the stage management side and did not have as good of an opinion. Yeah. And, but also I remember that it was funny. One was the sort of person you'd ex- you sort of like, you have no good opinion yeah. of anybody. You know what I mean? Like, so I was like, I can't, I can't take your, you know, story right. uh, at, at face value. But um, the other person um, was someone I respect. And he talked about how there was a lot of difficulty, but he loved watching her once she was on stage. Yeah. And I wonder. That like, so it was like, it was, and, and he just said that she was, um, and he, he was an older white mm-hmm. dude saying that she was difficult. Mm. And so like, <laughs> I never quite know, you know, having not been there, yeah. you know, what, what I would think. Um, but I have to say that that's or, kind of like, again, that's the type of like thinking we all need to have now. Right. So there's, there's this notion of like, okay, this person I know said this, but I also have to consider this person's lens. An old school white male cisgender performer um, taking in a black confident woman willing to take up space who's grappling with an addiction. Um, And, you know, I only add that not because that means it should quote unquote be an excuse, but more so just like, Mm whoever she was, was probably amplified based on that. Um, Yes, there's the, like, what it might've been like to be with her, but also the lens of who he is and what he considers difficult or problematic from a black woman willing to take up space, you know? Um, And that's what I love about what you just said is it just leaves the question, right? And I love that you just didn't take it as face value because that's what happens is like, because somebody, someone knows says something about someone else. And if you don't consider the lens that it's coming through, you may lose out on getting to know this other person based on that or working with this person or promoting this person as opposed to getting to know them yourself, if you can. Well, Steve, this was brilliant. (laughs) I knew it would be. And um, I hope it was as good for you as it was for me. Will you come back so we could do a deep dive on some other random obscure person that we feel the world should know more about? <laughs> yes. This is like, this is actually, if I could have a, a job only aligned with what I'm really good at. Oh, right? It would be, it would be this. Mine would be this as, and um, identifying obscure actors on Law & Order episodes. It's a special talent. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good yeah, at that too. Yeah, Bill's way impressed. Not really. Um, well, I love you. Thank you. you I'm like trying to figure out if I've forgotten anything, but I um, can you tell us a little bit about where we can find you? You are in um, uh, grad school right now, getting your playwright play um, writing uh, master's degree, which is amazing. Um, Steve is already an amazing playwright. Um, I love everything he writes. Um, but where can people find you? What would you like to share? Well, people can find me on Twitter um, at Stephen Strafford. Stephen is with a V and Strafford is doctor of farts backwards. Good to know. That's how you know you spelled it right. <laughs> um, so um, they can find me on Twitter. Um, my show um spectacular. Yes, 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 yes. Um after uh we did a two camera edit from uh performances in 2019 at Steppenwolf, uh, their 1700 theater space. Um and uh after sort of, you know, trying to shop it around and figure a place for it, I just sort of um decided to release it so that people could just see yes. it for yes. free. Um, so it is on YouTube, um, and, uh, a way to get to it easily is www.methtacular, 
um, the show is called Methtacular. Um, www.methtacular.com slash show slash. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece written and performed by Stephen. And um, we'll uh, keep, uh, have the link in the show notes so people can access it right away. Okay. Um, and I love you. Amazing Grace. Thank you, Lord. Bobblehead. Soap and pop. Work a lot. It's never sweet. Yes, it is. No, it's not. This whole flock is not ready. Oh, go to cold to hot till the show stops. It's not a hopeful plot. Yes, it is.